Amen. Right, so our new Bible study for Sunday evenings for now, um, till, we, till we have a midweek service, is going to be the Gospel of John. And uh, for me, it's, it is my favourite Gospel, probably my favourite book in the Bible. Um, this first chapter I absolutely love as well. Um, and just, yeah, so much beauty there, so much truth there as well. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to this Bible study. Hopefully everyone else is as well. Um, and let's, let's get going then, starting from, um, from chapter 1, verse 1 in the Gospel of John. God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the first verse of this Gospel, Jesus is God, right? First verse of this Gospel, Jesus is God. And it, it doesn't take much cross-references to see that the Word is Jesus. Um, obviously, verse 14, if you just jump forward, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, but the Word's also talking about in, in Revelation 19. If you want to just turn there quickly. Revelation chapter 19. And from verse 11... Revelation 19.11 And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is some picture of our God, isn't it? That is one picture of our God that you won't see many places, will you? In many churches will they give that picture of Jesus Christ. But that is some picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was in the beginning, wasn't he? In the beginning was the word. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Okay? And Jesus Christ didn't come into existence in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And there are many versions of Christianity, many cults that come out of this sort of stuff. No, in the beginning was the word. In the Gospel of John, right at the beginning, we've just got a clear doctrine there, haven't we? Jesus is God and Jesus has always been and was in the beginning. He always was. Uh, turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. An amazing truth, isn't it, that his disciples experienced that. These were people like you and I could have been, you know, that, that got to handle the word of life, that were there with him, that were walking the earth with him. That's pretty amazing, isn't it, when you think about that. Um, Obviously, 1 John 5, 7, the Bible says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The Bible teaches the Holy Trinity, doesn't it? It's clear the Bible teaches the Holy Trinity. And, of course, like many, many other core beliefs of the Bible, the Trinity is attacked, isn't it? Okay, we're constantly seeing new attacks and old attacks, and probably there's nothing new under the sun there, but we see these attacks. And you've got the more common attack that Jesus isn't God, haven't you? Okay, so we have that attack, we hear that a lot. Billions of Muslims will just discard the Bible as inaccurate, won't they? They'll just discard it as inaccurate, corrupted, they try and say, don't they? Oh, well, it's all been corrupted, it's all been changed. Um, and then they'll try and claim that, that obviously Jesus isn't God, he's a prophet, we had something similar today. But really the guy just wanted to attack, um, try to rile us up. We had a guy telling us, about how this church was changed into a mosque. He was telling me and Brother Doran today. Um, church was changed into a mosque and, and trying to get a reaction. And then, yeah, and all these people give us grief. But this guy stopped and said, well done, because there's still worship going on in this place. And we're looking for a reaction. And we're like, anyway, Doran just said, yeah, well, we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> we're here to give you the gospel. But, uh, these, these guys are really, you know, they really... They don't hate, sorry, really they hate the real Jesus, don't they? Really, that's the truth. They don't, they don't want the real Jesus, so they're trying to pretend they, oh, the prophet Jesus, we believe, no, no, no. 
and we know that. But of course, that's that's attack. And and again, they try and say the Bible's inaccurate, like it couldn't have been preserved, really. And and the Bible's the Bible's clear. God preserved His word, didn't He? Preserved His word. That's what we're reading here. And the preserved word of God says, "In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God." Okay, clear as day there. Now you've got cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses, which like to add in just that little ah or a, yeah. And in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was a God. And that's a sneaky little one, isn't it? Shove that in. Now in their footnote, footnotes, I had a quick look at this. They have on, you know, they have footnotes everywhere on their, their New World uh, translation and they put or divine, or divine. So he was a God or he was divine. You know, say, so, you know, he's a good guy. You know, he's a great guy, but he wasn't God. Because, of course, it's only Jehovah, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So, you know, you've got these, you've got these different types. You've got the modalist or oneness heretics, don't you, that claim that they're different forms of God. I think everyone's probably heard a bit about that. Jesus praying to the Father, which we're going to see throughout this chapter, obviously, is completely lost on them. Um, but the Bible teaches that Jesus was with God and he was God, doesn't it? And just because we can't necessarily explain that fully in our minds, that doesn't mean it's not true. The Bible teaches that, okay? Verse 2 says, the same was in the beginning with God. Maybe that's why 1 Timothy 3.16 says, great is the mystery of godliness. Verse 3 says, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And that's not just a claim in John. Ephesians 3.9 says, and to make all men see what is a fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. As God, all things are made by him. And that's pretty tough for a prophet, isn't it? That's pretty tough for a prophet. That's pretty tough for just a divine person. This is obviously clearly, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay, turn to John chapter 11. In him was life. John chapter 11 and verse 25 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the life. It's in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Not our works, but in him. The life is in Jesus Christ, it's not in our works. And the life was the light of men. You can jump forward to John 8 if you want. And verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And we as believers, we have that light, don't we? We have that light. Now, turn to Matthew 5, about that light. Matthew 5. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, Matthew 5, 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, why wouldn't we want to shine that light? Why wouldn't we want to shine that light? It, it, you know, it, it sounds strange, but sadly, so many Christians don't want to shine that light, do they? They don't want to shine that light, that pressure, that fear, that well, maybe it's just not caring. But we should, shouldn't we? We should let our light so shine before men. And in verse 5 of John 1, it says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So Jesus shined that light, didn't he? And we shine that light too. Okay, Jesus shine that light and we shine that light. But it says here, in the darkness comprehend it not. So if it was still dark, it didn't, it didn't un comprehend or it didn't understand it, did it? And why didn't they understand it then? Why didn't they understand that light? And why do so many still not understand that light? Well, we know 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They just don't get it, do they? They don't get it. They don't understand the word. They don't understand it. They don't understand the gospel. To understand the light, they need someone to explain it, don't they? They need someone to go to them and explain it. 
And without that, they don't understand it. The darkness comprehends it not. They're still in darkness. But sadly, they often don't want someone to explain it, do they? So it's not that, oh, well, they're just waiting for someone to just, just explain to them the gospel, to show them the lie. Often they don't want it, do they? How many times today are we knocking on doors and they just do not want it at all, do they? And they, they, you know, they have various reasons, don't they? People that claim to be Christians, but the Formula One's on or whatever it was, or, you know, or, or the iron's going to cut out, you know, we had today. Really interesting, but the iron's going to cut out. But they don't want it. That's the truth. They don't want it. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and 19 from verse 19 says, And this is a condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And that's, that's a big that's a big truth, isn't it? That, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And people just, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to come to the light because they don't want the spotlight on them. They don't want to acknowledge God because if you acknowledge God, then you have to acknowledge really how you live and you start to then acknowledge your sin, don't you? Now, that, that for me, that's a big, big part of it. Many, many times people are shutting their ears. They don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to hear it explained. They don't want to hear any of that. It's sad, but it's true, isn't it? But 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Okay, And they are, aren't they? They're blinded, but, but, we still don't want our gospel to be hid, do we? They might be blinded, but we still want to go out. We want to go out with that flashlight and, and find people that want to hear it, that want to, that want to understand it, that are happy to hear it. Uh, but there is a reason, is it, why when soul winning, just so often there seems to be so much in the world that gets in the way, doesn't it? Like we said, we were saying earlier, that, you know, whether it's something on TV or something else, it's just all these excuses and reasons. But... We still need to get out of there, don't we? Verse 6 in, in John 1 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Right, this is John the Baptist. Verse 7, The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Okay, so this was prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Um, if you turn there quickly, Malachi 3. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, so John the Baptist was a prophesied witness. But look what it said in verse 7 of, of John there. It said, The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe all men didn't say he came for a witness that some that the select few might believe some that were specially chosen by God before that all men through him might believe it's pretty it's pretty obvious there isn't it that that Jesus Christ that that came that John came to bear witness of Jesus Christ that all men through him might believe and all does mean all, doesn't it? All does mean all. Now, they don't all believe, but they might believe. They have the choice. They have the option, don't they? Or they did at the beginning. Um, verse 8 said, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was a true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And this Calvinism is, is it's, it's complete heresy, isn't it? It is. It's complete heresy. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of people thinking they're so intelligent because they follow these Calvinist teachers who are just such morons, really. And people follow this junk and they try and just get intellectualise it and everything else. But you just have to go to the first chapter of, of John and get to verse 7 to see that all men through him might believe. You don't have to go far in the Bible, do you? You don't have to go far. But 
Well, and they can be hard work, can't they, these guys? They can be hard work and they try and just, they, they take things out of context. They mis misquote verses and it really, you know, like we said before, what does it really do? Anyone who's saved and gets mixed up in that, it just weakens soul winning, doesn't it? Weakens soul winning. Because all you're thinking in your head is, well, they're going to get saved anyway. They're elect. Why do I need to go out and preach the gospel? And that's really, that's like the main thing with it, isn't it? Let alone a lot of their damnable heresy that creeps in with the perseverance and works and the crossover and all of that as well. But, um, yeah, and, and, the, and the God of Calvinism is a monster, isn't he? Absolute monster. He just damns a majority of people to hell with no choice whatsoever. I mean, that is ridiculous. But obviously we don't believe that here. Um, that was a true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every person that comes into the world has an opportunity to get saved. Okay? Every person that comes into the world has an opportunity to get saved. Yeah. Romans chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, and verse 19-20 says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. You get all these sort of questions. Well, you know, what if someone lives in the middle of wherever and they haven't heard the gospel? Look, they're without excuse. They are without excuse. John 12, 32 says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all, all again, all men unto me. Jesus Christ draws all men unto him. And it's not just a select few Calvinists, is it? Okay, he draws all men unto him. Now, verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. That's a sad truth, isn't it? Verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So he came first the lost sheep of the house of Israel, didn't he? But of course, he came to them. He came, and that's, that, you know, that, that was the Jew first. But, but the Gentiles weren't a plan B, were they? It wasn't a plan B. It was always meant to be a light to the Gentiles, wasn't it? The majority rejected him, though. The majority of those Jews rejected him. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. And from verse 54. And when he was coming to his own country... Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, verse 54. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then have this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honour, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief and this often happens with us doesn't it doesn't that I, I, I'd imagine most people here have experienced something similar when it's people you know family members friends old friends you try and witness them try and give them the gospel and that's pretty much what they're saying along those lines aren't they um, and, and that could be pretty hard can't it but don't forget that that happened to Jesus he came unto his own and his own received him not as we see, even, even family members, even his brothers, didn't believe on him, did they, at the time? And that's going to happen with us. It does happen with us. But it is the way it is, isn't it? And you've got to carry on. You've got to, if you go out there and you, you save someone else's brother, someone else's sister, someone else's mum, dad, and, and pray for them people then. Just, just pray that maybe God will send someone to save your, your, your brother, mother, sister, Father, whatever it is, and and still, fortunately, we've got a, we've got an army here, haven't we? You can always try and arrange to go around and give the gospel to one of your family members, can't you? And still persevere, still try. But sadly, that is the truth. Verse twelve says, though, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Galatians three twenty six says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, it's believing on his name, we become children of God. And let that sink in for a minute. We are sons of God, children of God. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We're saved and we also become a child of God. And I think that's a great truth. What an honour, what a comfort as well. What a comfort to know who your heavenly father is. Um, because there are children, aren't there? There are children that feel safe because of their parents, don't they? 
many children that feel safer, they feel safer in life because of their parents, because of their mother. Sometimes because of their mother, sometimes because of their father, sometimes both. And that's something we can get as well. We can get that comfort, can't we? That assurance of who our father is. And it's by just believing on his name, even to them that believe on his name. Okay, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Verse 13 says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And obviously that's the spiritual birth of God. John 3, 3 says, Jesus answers, said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And obviously, we were talking about this last week, is that you, you kind of feel funny using sometimes that terminology, born again, because of how that's been completely misused by all sorts of weird so-called Christians, and I'm a born-again believer. Okay, what you got to do to go to heaven? Well, be good. But there's a lot of that, isn't there? Um, but, but here it says in verse 13, which were born not of blood. It's not because of our bloodline, is it? It's not because of our bloodline. Tell that to the Jews. Hey, it's not because of our bloodline, um, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of our, f- nor of the will of the flesh. It's not because of our own goodness. It's not because of our own goodness, is it? No way. Nor of the will of man. It's not because we just so wanted to get saved. It was the gospel, wasn't it? We're born of God thanks to the gospel. It was the gospel, the gospel, the word of God. It was what Jesus Christ did is the reason that we got saved. Yeah. The power of the gospel, and and I don't know, that's a good verse. That's a good verse, isn't it? Which were born not of blood. That's a good verse for all this Zionist nonsense, isn't it? Um, Nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, how amazing it must have been to be around Jesus God day in, day out. And that's something we've all got coming. Every single person here that's saved, we've got that coming, haven't we? Full of grace and truth. And begotten here. So, the, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. Now, begotten is procreated, generated. I don't know if, I, I hope everyone's aware of this. It's not talking about his birth in Bethlehem. Okay, this is not talking about Jesus Christ's birth in Bethlehem. He was, he's not a generated being. He's not a created being. In the beginning was the word, right? Okay, so he wasn't, he wasn't begotten in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He wasn't begotten in terms of, of create, a created being. M- remember, Micah 5.2 says, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Okay, from everlasting. Now, and don't forget as well that Adam was generated by God too, wasn't he? So Adam was generated by God. So what's it talking about this begotten? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, 5. says, and from Jesus Christ, Revelation 1, 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood it's talking about being the first begotten of the dead okay that's what we're seeing there in john turn to acts 13 acts chapter 13 and verse 33 says god hath fulfilled the same unto us said children in that he hath raised up jesus again as it is written in the second psalm thou art my son this day have i begotten thee And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. See, there's a bit of, I don't know if you've heard this teach before, people try and talk about him being begotten in Bethlehem, but then that that suggests that he's a created being, doesn't it? No, it's because he he was begotten from the dead, the first that basically was regenerated from the dead. Um, Psalm chapter 2 which it was talking about here in Acts 13 and verse 6 to 7 says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Okay, and that's talking about, from Acts 13, we've seen that, that's talking about being begotten, being raised from the dead, that he has raised up Jesus again. Um, 
And that's when Jesus Christ, that's the only begotten son, he was begotten from the dead, okay? The first one ever to have been, to have been begotten from the dead, from hell, and, and coming back into existence from hell. Now verse 15 says in, in John 1, John bare witness of him and cried saying, this was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John was six months older, wasn't he? Anyone read Luke uh, chapter 1 there? You see that John was six months older. Um, and he says, of course, he's saying, he was saying that Jesus Christ was before him. He said, this was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He didn't come into existence in Bethlehem, did he? Okay, again, he didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. He always was. He was before John. And he says, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. If you want to turn to Colossians 2, So Colossians 2 and, and chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So we have all received of Jesus Christ the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It says in Colossians 2 verse 9 there, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we have all received of that. We have all received of that. And grace for grace it's kind of like we've received mercy to receive mercy, you could say that, couldn't you? Grace for grace. We had to have some grace to receive that grace, didn't we? Verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And amen to that. Verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now, obviously, this is referring to God the Father, because he says then, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Okay, talking about God the Father. God the Son does make many appearances in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Okay, we see many, many appearances. But we're talking about God the Father. Moses got pretty close to the Father, didn't he? Moses got pretty close. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. And we see that in verse, from verse 18. Moses talking to God, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. That's why no one's seen his face then. Okay? Because no one, no man, he said, will see that. And... and that's, here it's talking about no man has seen God the Father at any time because to see God's face, you can't see that and live. Um, but we have, we have, we can, and people have seen the only begotten Son and he hath declared the Father because he is God the Son, isn't he? There's not, it's not, you know, good guy, bad guy. It's not all almighty, powerful God, but Jesus is something different and Jesus is that merciful one or Jesus is that one that, you know, he, he's a bit kinder and a bit more lenient. No, they are all, they are both with the Holy Ghost. They are all God, aren't they? They all make up one God. Um, they are the Holy Trinity and they all, they all have exactly the same standards. Now, like I said, Moses got pretty close, but that's why no man's seen his face. Verse 19 in John 1 says, And this is a record of John, when a Jew sent priests to leave us from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And don't miss that there, he denied not. John didn't get all scared and start denying anything, did he? But don't forget what sort of time they're living in there. And don't forget what happened to Jesus Christ there and the persecution that he was under, and, and the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he didn't start, oh, well, I, I'm just some guy just doing some stuff, leave me to it. And, and again, we, we might chuckle at that, but I, I think everyone here probably has the ability to sometimes deny it one, in one way or another at some point or other. 
to just maybe be a bit quieter about it. And, um, you know, many people, there's some bold Christians here, but there are times, aren't there? There are times maybe when it's easier to deny a little bit, to at least deny by, through your silence. But he denied not, didn't he? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, and they asked him, what then, art thou Elias? And he saith, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. So Elias is the Greek ver version of Elijah. Why were they asking if he's Elias or Elijah? Well, turn to Matthew 17. I know this is, we're having a bit of a study here today on this. Um, but some good, good, good scripture, good doctrine here. Matthew 17, verse 10 says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Okay, that's why, because Elijah truly, it says, truly shall first come and restore all things. Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So why did, why did John say, I'm not? Anyone wondered that? Why John said, I am not? Well, turn to Luke one seventeen. Luke one seventeen says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, so you should go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Oh, spirit and power of Elias. I, I see that maybe he wasn't really aware of that. That's how I see that. He wasn't aware that he was going in the spirit and power of Elias. Um, that's how I see that. Be interested if anyone's got any opinions on that, why he said I'm not. That's how I see that. He wasn't aware. Um, that prophet, when they said, art thou that prophet, um, I think they're referring to the prophet spoken about in Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now, that's talking about Jesus Christ there, and obviously Jesus Christ isn't just a prophet, but he is also a prophet, isn't he? Um, but, so they're saying, he's, you know, they're confused, aren't they? Aren't thou Elias, that prophet? You know, who are you? They said in verse 22 there, then said they unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Okay, he's quoting Isaiah 43. Right, so how's he making straight the way? So he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Well, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So, John was preaching the gospel, wasn't he? John was preaching the gospel. He was preparing the way, preaching the gospel. Acts 19.4 says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. Jesus. That's what he was preaching. He was preaching the gospel. Um, and he was making straight away by preaching the gospel for Jesus Christ to come and continue preaching the gospel and die on that cross. Now verse 24 says, And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. They don't know him because they're not saved, are they? They don't know him because they're not saved. Verse 20 says, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. John knows his place, doesn't he, compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. John knows his place. And we're also not worthy to unloose his shoes latch it either, are we? No one here is worthy of that. Yet he died for us. Pretty amazing, isn't he? We're not worthy of any of this. Not one bit of it. Is any, you might be thinking in your good times in life, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm not bad. I can see why I'm saved. But the truth is, we're not worthy. He said, whose shoes latch it, I'm not worthy to unloose. Remember who John the Baptist was, and he wasn't worthy to unloose his shoes latch it, let alone us. 
Verse 28 says, These things were done in Bethabara on Jordan, where John was baptized. In verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John knew exactly what he was, didn't he? John knew exactly who he was. And see the present tense here, which taketh away. He didn't say, will take away, did he? Which taketh away, because the Lamb of God has already taken away the sins of the world. And everyone from, from the beginning, from Genesis through to Revelation, has only been saved and will only get saved through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to, to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. Now, turn to Luke 1 quickly there. Luke chapter 1. Okay, this is talking of John the Baptist from verse 76. It says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Okay, and how does he do that? And verse 77 says, To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Okay, so remission being really the forgiveness of their sins, yeah? Okay, so... Here he's, obviously it's talking, it's talking of John the Baptist here. And here he said, he said, After me cometh a man which preferred before me, for he was before me. I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest unto Israel. Therefore am I come baptized with water. So he's there, again, preaching the gospel. Then look at verse 32. It says, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but that he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And there is the Trinity. Is that not the Trinity there? There is the Trinity. We have, he said, he saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, there's the Father, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the Spirit again, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Okay, there's a Holy Trinity all in a couple of verses there. Again, like John chapter 1 just puts to bed so much false doctrine, doesn't it? It just hammers, destroys so much false doctrine in one chapter. If only people just read this chapter and take it for what it says. Um, now, here obviously it's referring to Jesus' baptism. Um, there's other, other accounts, obviously Matthew 3.16, famous one for that. But notice that John, like I said earlier, he's well aware of who Jesus is, isn't he? Well aware, yeah? And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now, yeah, in Matthew 11, 2 to 3, turn there if you like, Matthew chapter 11, and verse 2 says, Now when John had heard in the prison, this is before John dies, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? So this is John the Baptist basically doubting now, isn't he? He's questioning. He's doubting his faith. And Christians will have moments of doubt, won't they? You're not unsaved if you have moments of doubt. You're not some sort of wrong'un if you have moments of doubt. We will all have times of doubt, times of questioning, times of lower faith. That does happen. John the Baptist had that. And you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 11, 11, talking about him, or if you're already there, go to it. It says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So the greatest man that lived saw all of this. He baptised him, yet he still had a moment of doubt. He still had a moment of doubt. And, and that's, the, that's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. The Christian life, it's not all plain sailing all the time. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have moments of doubt. But stay in the Word. Stay in the Word and, and you know, that can dissolve those doubts. Now, verse 35 says, Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak 
and they followed Jesus. Regardless of who's discipling us, who should we follow? Jesus. Jesus Christ, eh? regardless. So these, these are two of John's disciples, aren't they? The greatest man that lived. This is uh, the greatest man that lived, and I can imagine he was some preacher, wasn't he? You know, old generation of vipers. You know, he's preaching hard, he's out there doing amazing things for God, and two of his disciples looked upon Jesus, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Okay, and we should be exactly the same, shouldn't we? Like, everything we, we hear and everything else should go through the lens of the Bible, shouldn't it? And ultimately, we're following Jesus, and we're not following a person. But, but as Paul did say, as he is a follower of him, be he followers of me. Okay, and as long as it's through Jesus Christ, as long as it's preaching the word of God, we should follow that, shouldn't we? But ultimately, we're following Jesus. Now, verse 38 says, Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is, say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Right, they want to, like, tenth hour, by the way, is 4, is 4 p.m., basically. 4 p.m., and I'd imagine it probably gets a bit darker, you know, earlier there than here. We have, like, long summers here, don't we? Long days in the summer. But, but we don't have long summers. We have long days in the summer. Sadly, we don't have long summers. But they want to follow Jesus despite the time, don't they? Okay, despite the time. I, I don't think maybe walking at night was probably so safe, and, and I don't know. I, I'd imagine there are a few, few problems with that. But they want to follow Jesus despite the time. There's not excuses. We hear a lot of excuses, don't we, about following Jesus. We hear a lot of excuses about getting saved. We hear a lot of excuses about following him as well. But here it doesn't matter. They came and saw where he dwelt, and then they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, verse 40 says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found a Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Right. Andrew gets his brother straight away, doesn't he? And brings him to Jesus. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first findeth his own brother Simon, saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. First thing he does, isn't it? How sad is it when you preach the gospel to someone, you get them saved on the door, and you say to them, Oh, you've got someone else in it? Oh, no, 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 they wouldn't be interested. Or no, you say, Have you got any kids there? Or you hear the kids, the kids, Oh, no, well, no. no that is sad, isn't it? Really sad. It does happen, doesn't it? I know it's happened to me. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes you can persuade me, but it does happen, doesn't it? How sad is that? Like here, Andrew first, the first thing he does, he gets his, his own brother Simon. And and when you're getting when people are saved, I think that's a good time, isn't it? That's a good time to be saying to them, look, like, like get out there, get you know, get show this, like show this video, try and encourage them early on to to, to spread the word. Jesus knows Simon Peter, doesn't he? says here. He says, Thou art Simon, the son of John, and thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Peter means stone as well. Um, and this is, I, this is, I believe, the first meeting. Okay, So they come to Jesus here, don't they? They come to Jesus. Then in Matthew 4.19, we see obviously when, he's, when it says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But they've already come to him at this point. So it doesn't make that clear, Matthew, but I think this is the first meeting. They've come to Jesus, then Jesus calls them to discipleship, yeah? So they come to Jesus, don't they? They come to Jesus, they, 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 they come to him at the beginning, then he goes out, and then he calls them to be one of the twelve. Um, verse 43 says, The day following, Jesus will go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So the same with Philip. What does he do? Straight away he goes to Nathanael. He goes to Nathanael. Philip findeth Nathanael. Okay, and like I said, there are people that don't even want to get their kids saved, do they? People that don't even want to get anyone saved. And sadly, there are Christians who, who are going to church and everything else that still don't really want to get people saved. Their family members still, oh, what do I say to him or anything else? Didn't look like Philip was so worried about Nathaniel mocking him. 
didn't look like Andrew was so worried about Simon. Just get the gospel to your family at least, eh? And like we said, a lot of the time they'll reject. But give it a try anyway, because you can get them saved. And they do sometimes get saved, don't they? I think probably everyone here has had experiences of getting people saved. Maybe they haven't, but, but still try. And what does he do there? Now, it's not his family, but that's a friend, I think, Nathaniel. And, and again, our friends. Shouldn't we go into those old friends, those people that at least uh, that we have that access to straight away? Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets to write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 46, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. So I don't think it's just that Nathanael is some sort of like xenophobe, racist type. Um, he just has an issue with people in Nazareth. He's from Cana in Galilee, which basically is really close to there, okay? It's kind of like the next, next town. But have a look at John 7. John 7, and verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ, John 7, 41. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was. I think this is his problem here, because Micah 5.2 said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, thou shalt, sorry, though thou be little among the thousand of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So I think Nathaniel is likely alluding to scripture here. And, and waiting for, is, isn't he meant to come out of Bethlehem? It's like, well, what's coming out of, he said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's how I, how, that's what I think his problem is there. Now, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, in verse 47, and saith of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Like, guile is cunning deceit. And, he, and he's not mocking him. He's saying there's no cunning deceit. I don't know if he's saying, how, you know, is it like, well, this is a bit of an anomaly, an Israelite where there's no guile. Or he's just saying, oh, look, you know, this is a good Israelite. Uh, I don't know, one of the two. But he's saying, in whom is no guile? And again, he knows him, doesn't he? Nathaniel saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. And, and again, like, Jesus already knows him. Je Jesus already knows everyone, doesn't he? Yeah, he's God. He knows, he knows everyone. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you've ever thought. You know, he knows everything, absolutely everything, which can be a bit of a sobering thought, can't it? But it's a pretty amazing thought as well. Yeah, he knows you inside out. He knows everything about you. And, and he knows what you experience. He knows what you think. He knows what you do. And, and, and that was even before salvation as well, okay? Uh, he's beholding the evil and the good, isn't he? Um, Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, talking about Jeremiah, but again, Jesus knows everything about us, okay? And, and there, he's showing clearly, he knows everything about, about, obviously, his disciples here. Now, verse 49 says, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered, said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Do you think that's referring to Luke 24, 51, where it says, And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven? Maybe. Um, but, look, we've all been saved, haven't we, because of Jesus' words, yeah? Because it is. It's because of Jesus' words that he's been saved. And, and whether or not it's then or he's already saved. But since salvation, we've seen some great things too, haven't we? I'd say everyone here has seen some amazing things since being saved. So verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Um, but yeah, we were saved by God's words, we were saved by Jesus' words, but we have seen some great things, we'll continue to see some great things in this lifetime, won't we? And then, wow, what are we going to see after that? Uh, and, and those great things, hereafter ye shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And all those great things we see should strengthen our faith, shouldn't they? 
And when we're seeing those great miracles, seeing people getting saved, we're seeing those changes in, in people's lives when they're at church as well. We're seeing all of that, all of that working of God in our lives, in the church and everything else. That should strengthen our faith, shouldn't it? Strengthen us as followers, strengthen us as disciples. Um, and you don't have to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, I don't think, to, 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 to strengthen your faith. We see stuff every day, don't we? We, we experience that. Those going out soul winning, you see it, you, you feel it. and um, it, it's, a great, it's a great thing, isn't it, being saved? It's a great thing being a disciple. Um, everyone here is a disciple of Jesus Christ, aren't they? It is an amazing thing to be, and what an honour, what a glory. And let's hope that none of us ever kind of wish that we weren't let's hope that none of you kids here don't ever start to get cold feet about it and think i don't know if i want to want to live like this because there's nothing better is there is there well we see some great things in life and and we're going to continue seeing that and then obviously what we're going to have at the end of that we're going to have something amazing in heaven every single person here um so yeah that's john chapter one i love that chapter that's um great chapter of the bible and i know there's a lot of doctrine there a lot of page turning it's not exactly a you know, fire breathing sermon, but there's a lot, there's a lot that we could just take from that, isn't there? There's so many places you could go with that. Um, instead, I've just wanted to go through each verse of that. Um, John chapter two tomorrow should be an interesting one. Um, booze, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, sorry, next week. But um, yeah, until then, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, for the Gospel of John. Thank you for all the many truths, the, the strong doctrine we get out of that first chapter. Thank you for just making things so clear um, for us. Thank you, thank you for for all the well, all the many truths we get out of your word. And uh, please help us to to take those on board, to be strong in our faith, to be to be strong in in our discipleship. Um, just just help us to wanna wanna follow you all the days of our life. Um, help us to, to to have a good week now with you at the centre of it. Help us to be in the Word. Help us to, to get out soul winning. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to return back here to the pillar and ground of the truth, house of the living God. Help us to, to, to be here next week safe and sound um, and just bless our weeks going forward. And, and, and yeah, in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.